everyone, welcome to the Sabbath School Study Hour. I don't know about you, but I'm very excited about today's topic. I have enjoyed studying this week's lesson, number 11, in our quarterly study on Ephesians. And I hope that you have been as blessed as I have. So whether you're here in the sanctuary or whether you're watching at home online in the local area, across the country, or around the world... I want to welcome you and thank you for joining us for our Sabbath School study today. But before we get into that, I want to point you to a free offering that we have that goes along with our study. It is an Amazing Facts study guide called The Bride of Christ. And you can get that by going to your telephone and dialing 866-788-3966 and asking for... Uh, free offer number 133. You can also get that by going to your cell phone and texting the code SH073 to the number 40544. And if you're outside of the United States, you can also go on your computer and type in the URL code study.aftv.org forward slash sh073 and you can get a free digital download and i want to encourage you to do that it's called the bride of christ well family before we get into our study today let's begin with a word of prayer oh loving father i want to thank you for your goodness and mercy and lord i especially thank you for Uh, This study that we've had, it's so powerful and so amazing that, Lord, uh, I, I just pray for everyone in the hearing of my voice. I pray that you would give us ears to hear and, Lord, you would give us eyes to see. And, Lord, we just don't want an intellectual knowledge, but, Lord, we want to ask you to show us how to apply your word to our lives that you might transform us more and more into the image of Jesus. That's our desire, and that's our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, family, I want to start off our study today with a very practical statement. And I really want us to to focus in on this statement and the implications and the cause and effect that it portrays. Here it is. Sin has separated us from God and from each other. Now let me say that again. Sin has separated us from God and from each other. I think that we would all agree that that is a true statement and that the results of sin entering into our world have been far reaching. God is a relational being. 
He desires to have communion with us, to have face-to-face relationships with us. But the character that God gave to mankind at creation has been marred. It has been ruined. It has been scarred. It has been tainted. It has been flawed. And because my character... Because your character is flawed, it changes the way that we interact with God and with each other. The Apostle Paul summed it up very well in Romans chapter 7, verse 15, when he said to the church in Rome, and when he says to us, For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. Now, family, what is Paul saying to us? He's simply saying that there is a force that is at work here. There is a cause and effect. Sin has come into the world And the results or the outcome is that I don't do what I know I should be doing. In fact, to the contrary, I do those things that I know that I shouldn't do. I don't respond to the situations the way I should. I don't think right thoughts and it affects my relationship with God and with others. Paul continues on in that same chapter, chapter 7. We just read verse 15, but he goes on from verse 16 to 23 to say this. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law of God that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil that I will not to do, that I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God, according to the inward man... But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity of the law of sin, which is in my members. Paul simply says, look, I desire to do good. I I desire to have right thoughts, to do God's will. But then I don't. And why not? Because sin has control over me. I am a slave 
to sin. Now that was Romans chapter 7, verse 14 to 23 that we just read. Or excuse me, verse 15 to 23. But I want to go back to verse 14. Notice what Paul says in Romans chapter 7, verse 14. He says, for we know that the law of God, that's the Ten Commandment law, that it is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. Brothers and sisters, that's the conundrum that we find ourselves in. This is the situation. Sin has separated us from God and from each other. And I want you to notice here in this passage in Romans chapter 7 that Paul is is not using this to justify bad behavior. But rather, he is describing why he and why we can't get the victory. Why we can't overcome this situation on our own. There is a power at work here, and in my own capacity, in my own ability, I don't have the power to overcome it. Family, I don't know about you, but I have discovered something important about myself. I've discovered that I am a person of good intentions, and I think that that puts me in good company. Because I think that's what Paul is saying about himself. I have good intentions. I desire to do what's right, but then I don't do it. And I know the things I shouldn't do, and and those are the things that I do. And that is why we must do what Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 3 what he needed to do. He said to him, you must be born again. And and that's that's the reality. And and we might ask ourselves, why? Why do I have to be born again? And And the answer is quite simple. Because the law is spiritual, but I am carnal. And in my carnal nature... I cannot do what is spiritual. I intend to, I desire to, but then I can't. I don't. I don't have the power. I don't have the ability. I don't have the capacity. Now, friends, the last time that I was with you in Sabbath school study hour was back in this same quarterly in Ephesians in lesson number two. And in that study, we looked at the grand Christ-centered plan of God. In other words, we looked at the plan of salvation, the plan of redemption, the plan of reconciliation, the plan of atonement. And we saw that God has an amazing plan for overcoming this sin problem. He has a solution. And the solution is, you must be born again. 
You've been born physically, you've been born with this carnal nature, but you've got to be born a second time. You've got to be born of the Spirit. The law is spiritual, and so I need that spirit nature in order to overcome the carnal nature. Brothers and sisters, do you realize that the Bible talks about two different to separate two distinct workings in the spiritual realm. Now let me pause for a minute and let that sink in. Let me, let me say that again. The Bible talks about two separate and distinct workings in the spiritual realm. And, and, and this is what they are. There is spiritual influence... And there is spiritual possession. And I would tell you that you have both of those on both sides of the controversy between good and evil. You have a spiritual influence and spiritual possession on the good side. And you have spiritual influence and spiritual possession on the, on the evil side. And let me see if I can explain a, a little bit to you what I mean. I have had many times where I have been looking at spiritual things with people, studying the Bible, and, I, and I've, I've had many people say to me, but I'm a good person. In other words, what they're saying is, look, I, I understand what you're telling me that I need, but I just want you to know I'm already a good person. Now, of course, you and I, we know that this person is comparing themselves to other people, right? Well, you know, compared to so-and-so, I look pretty good. Compared to that person, I look pretty good. That one, I, okay, I still got to work on that. But when we compare ourselves to the law of God, when we compare ourselves to Jesus, yeah, we don't measure up so good. But I love it. I love it when people tell me, but I'm a good person because it opens up the opportunity for me to talk about the difference between spiritual influence and spiritual possession. And uh, I, I, like to, I like to talk about when Jesus, after he rose from the dead, he spent 40 days with his disciples. And then as he's getting ready to go back into heaven, he, he says to his disciples, it's good for you that I'm going away. Now, brothers and sisters, if Jesus would have just stopped right there and I were one of the disciples, I would have been screaming at the top of my lungs, Lord, how can it be good for me that you're going away? But, but here's the reality. Jesus pre-existed his birth. Jesus is the almighty God, all-powerful, all-knowing, omnipresent. But when Jesus took on humanity, he is now God trapped in a human body for the rest of eternity. And so Jesus can only be in one place at a time. And so Jesus said to his disciples... It's good for you that I'm going away, because if I do, I will send you a helper. In other words, Jesus says, I am going to send to you someone who can be 
everywhere. I can't do that anymore. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit who can be in the world and who can be in you. And and so, obviously, Jesus was referring to that helper. He was referring to the Holy Spirit. And he said in John chapter 16, verse 8, he said, and when he, that is the Holy Spirit, when he has come, he will convict the world of sin. He will convict the world of righteousness and of judgment. In other words, what Jesus was saying is when the Holy Spirit comes and he's in the world, he's going to convict you of what is wrong. He's going to convict you of what is right. And he's going to lead you to make a decision. And then I love to be able to tell people, praise God, the Holy Spirit is influencing you. He's in the world convicting you and you are doing what is right. That's why you're as good of a person that you are. But God wants so much more than that. God wants to possess you. God wants to come into your heart and sit on the throne of your heart and rule and reign. In other words, he now is coming in, now giving you the power, now giving you the capacity to keep God's commandments, to do God's will. And so there's a vast difference between influence and possession. And you know, we can see the same thing on the side of evil. And it became very apparent to me when COVID-19 hit. Because I saw something that I had never seen before. And it appeared from my perspective, it looked to me like the whole world had literally lost its mind overnight. And friends, there's only one way that that could happen. We were going this way and COVID-19 hit and all of a sudden the whole world went this way because there was a spiritual influence there. And I would say not on the side of good. And there's even uh, uh, some people who uh, have invited that spirit in and now they are possessed with this spirit. We call it demon possession. And so friends, there's a vast difference between spiritual influence in the world and inviting Christ to come in. And now you have the power. Now you have the capacity. Now you have that born again experience. And as Paul said, the old has gone, the new has come. You have a new way of thinking, a new way of doing things. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... Now, I want to pause there for a moment, and I would say it might be better to say, and anyone who has Christ in them, right? Because that's what it is. You're inviting Christ in you. So he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. 
Now we have a new way of seeing things. Now we have a new way of doing things. Now we, we, uh, we, we think differently. We act differently because now we are seeing things from a spiritual perspective rather than a carnal perspective. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Paul said, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable will of God. And so in our study in Ephesians, we have seen that God has a plan for redeeming mankind, for restoring that spirit nature which was lost when Adam and Eve sinned against God. Paul shares with us the grace of God that is received through faith and how we can once again have unity with God and with each other. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul talks about that unity. He talks about walking in love, walking in light, that is walking in the truth, and walking in wisdom. And he says, uh, in fact, I want you to look at it with me. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And I want you to notice what Paul says Starting in verse 22, he says that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Now here Paul is, is, is simply saying to us, when there is spiritual possession, when you have the Spirit of God in you, you should be doing things differently. You should be thinking differently than the world. You should be responding to various situations. You know, you and I have no control over the things that happen around us, but we do have control of our attitude. We do have control of how we respond. And with the Spirit of God in us, if He's ruling and reigning on the heart, uh, on the throne of our heart, then we should be responding in a different way than the rest of the world. Notice Paul goes on, go down to verse 30. He says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Sin came into the world and separated us from God and from each other. But now, if we've invited Christ in, now we have the Spirit of God in us, now we have the capacity to put away anger, to put away malice, 
to uh, put away evil speaking and to treat each other better, to love one another, to be tender hearted, to be forgiving. And then we go on to chapter five in our study. And we saw in verse one that Paul says, therefore, be imitators of God. In other words, you have the Spirit of God in you, ruling and reigning on the throne of your heart. Now do what God does. And what does God do? He does those things that Paul described. Love one another. Be tender-hearted, forgiving each other. And so we should be able to see fruit, or we should be able to see evidence that a person is truly possessed by the Spirit of God. They, they're different, right? I, I remember when I first gave my heart to the Lord, I had a love that I had never experienced before. I thought I loved my wife. I thought I loved my children. But all of a sudden, I had a love for them that I hadn't had before. And there should be that kind of a love. There should be that kind of a difference. And then in last week's study, we saw Paul giving some very practical advice as to what we should look like if we are truly born again. And not necessarily outward uh, physical that's changed, but rather the inward man. There should be a difference. There should be evidence of Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so Paul says, are we walking in love? Are we walking in the truth? Are we walking in wisdom? And last week's study, Paul says, it should be reflected in our marriages. And he understood, of course, that He's talking about both the husband and the wife, both having Christ in them and what that looks like. And of course, you know, he admonishes the wives to submit themselves to their husbands. And then he looks at the opposite side of the, of the marriage and he says it shouldn't be just one-sided, but the wife submitting to the husband is a part of it. The husband should also be loving his wife as Christ loved the church. And so Paul is, is giving us some practical advice on, on what our Uh, lives should look like. And our study this week is practicing what, uh, what Jesus desires, supreme loyalty to Christ. That's our study this week, right? And what does that look like? So we get into, in our study this week, in Ephesians chapter 6. And I want you to notice what Paul says here. He says, children, Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. The first thing that I want you to notice there in those three verses, I want you to notice that Paul is not talking to the world. 
He's talking to Christians. He's, he's very pointed in, in who he's talking to. He's talking to Christians. He's talking to those who say that they love God. He's talking to those who are filled with the Holy Spirit. And I want you all to notice, especially you young people, that Paul doesn't put a qualifier on his statement. Did you catch that? Paul said, children, obey your parents. But he didn't put a qualifier on there. Let me do that for you. Imagine that Paul said, children, obey your parents if they give you what you want. That's a qualifier, right? That little word, if. Paul doesn't do that. He, he doesn't say, children, obey your parents if they treat you the way you think they should. And he doesn't say, um, children, obey your parents if they deserve it. Now, when talking about marriage in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul didn't put that qualifier there either. He didn't say, wives, submit to your husband if he treats you good. And he doesn't say, husbands, love your wives if she responds Right? Paul doesn't put any of those qualifiers in there. Now, I want you to hold your place here in Ephesians chapter 6. We're coming back. I'm going to put my marker in there. And I want you to go with me to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. And I want you to notice something that Jesus says here. Look with me, Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 32. Jesus says, but if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies, do good, and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father is also merciful. So here we see Jesus telling us, look, it doesn't matter how a person responds what's important is what you do you have no control over your husband or your wife or your parents or anyone else for that matter you don't have any control over them all you can do is walk in the spirit and imitate god and so paul doesn't put a qualifier there Remember what we read in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, be imitators of God. 
In Matthew chapter 5, verse 39 to 42, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, John said, He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 through 8, Paul describes to us what love is. He says, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own. It's not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Friends, what we see here is that if we truly have Christ in us, we should be different than the rest of the world. We should have a supreme love for Christ and it should be reflected in everything that we think, everything that we say, everything that we do. We should respond differently than the rest of the world. Now let's go back to Ephesians chapter 6 in verse 1. Paul tells us, children obey your parents. And I want you to notice there, he says, because that's the right thing to do. He says, because we are commanded to honor our father and mother. And where does that come from? That comes from Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. It comes from the fifth commandment. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. You know, in James chapter 2, verse 10, James says, if you fail in one commandment, you're guilty of breaking the law. I want you to think about something for a minute. Think about all of those men and women today who are in prison. I would speculate and I would bet if I were a betting man, I would, I would bet that the people that are in prison kept 80 or 90% of the law. Right? The problem is, is that they broke one law and so they're put into prison. And so if we break one of God's commandments, then we're guilty of the law of God. Now there, there may be someone who is watching who might say to me, but Pastor Rod, you don't know my parents. You don't know what they've done to me. And you know what? You're right. I don't know your parents. But I do know this. I don't want to miss out on eternal life because I harbored some grudge against my parents or anyone else for that matter. And I can tell you this, when I was 18 years old, I left my parents' home 
And I was very bitter and I was very angry with my dad. My dad was a hard man and he did some things that were very hurtful to me. And I held a grudge for a very, very long time. But at the age of 35, I gave my heart to the Lord. And I praise God that he gave me the power, the capacity to forgive my dad. And and I want to tell you this, my forgiving my dad probably didn't benefit him in any way at all. But I promise you, it benefited me. It helped me to be able to forgive him because I remember that verse. Jesus said, if you can't forgive others, then your father in heaven will not forgive you. But when I had the spirit of God coming into me, now I had the power. Now I had the capacity. And I want you to notice there that Paul says, honor your father and mother, for it is the first commandment with a promise, right? That we will live long upon the earth. Now, if you're like me, when I, when I look at that verse from a, from a surface view, I think about the children of Israel and the promised land. God says, you'll live long in the land that I promised you. But family, I, I think we need to go much deeper than that. We need to look at the fact that, that if we have Christ in us, if, if we have a living connection with him, if we pass the investigative judgment, then God has promised us eternal life. We'll spend a thousand years in heaven with him, but then we're coming back to this earth. He's going to recreate it back to what it was like in the Garden of Eden, and we are going to live long in the land that he has promised us. And so there's a spiritual blessing here where God says, yes, if you do it the way I say, you will have eternal life. Now let's go back to Ephesians chapter 6. Then Paul does the exact same thing when talking again about marriage. He, he looks at the, the other side of the equation. First of all, he was saying, uh, I said marriage, I meant in the family relation. He was talking about children obeying your parents, but I want you to notice in verse 4, now Paul reverses it. Now he goes to the family and he says, and you fathers, and we can include mothers in this, do not provoke your children to wrath but bring them up in the training and in the admonition of the Lord. Now Paul is looking at the responsibility of parents. See, it's not just one-sided. Just like he did in the marriage uh, conversation in Matthew chapter 5, he said, uh, wives submit to your husband, but then he reversed it and he said, husbands love your wife. Now he's doing the same thing. Children obey your parents and now he's reversing it and he's saying, parents, don't, re- you know, don't uh, provoke your children to, to anger. He's talking to Christians here and he's saying, if you are a child... 
obey your parents, honor your father and mother, just like the commandment says. And I would say to you, even as an adult, you are commanded to honor your father and your mother. And again, you might say, you don't know what my parents have done to me. Paul doesn't make that a part of the equation. You can't, you don't have any control over what anyone else does to you. You only have control over how you respond. And and it's for our good that we are able to forgive. It's for our good that we honor our father and our mother. And uh, we are to raise them up to love and fear God. In fact, he is essentially telling us, Treat them as, as you would a brother and a sister in Christ. Treat them as younger brothers and sisters in the Lord. You know, this life is sinful. This, this, this life is, is hard. And if you have children, uh, I can't even imagine being a child today. All of the, the garbage that we're seeing in the world today, uh, all, all of the, uh, uh, you know, all of the temptations, all of the peer pressure, all of the things that, that children have to deal with today. And again, for you parents, I want you to notice that Paul didn't put a qualifier on this. He didn't say, don't. Uh, provoke your children to wrath if they do what you say. If they are obedient. He doesn't say that. He says, don't provoke your children. Now you might say to me, well, Pastor Rod, you don't know my children. You don't know their rebellion. And my answer to you is, you're right. I don't. But I do know this. I was a rebellious, stiff-necked child. And, and I can tell you that my parents handled my rebellion quite differently. My dad was harsh. He was hard. But my mom loves the Lord with all of her heart, mind, soul, and body. And, and my mom dealt with it differently. And I can tell you from my own personal experience which one of them I have a better relationship with. In fact, my wife and I have four children. And our children were teenagers before we came to the Lord. And I can tell you that my wife and I handled our children quite differently. I was like my dad. I was very harsh. I was very hard-lined. And I look at the relationship that my wife has today with our children, and I compare that to the relationship that I have with them, and I can tell you I have regrets. And Paul tells us, that we are to raise them up in the admonition of the Lord. Now, I want you to hold your place here in Ephesians 6. We're coming back. But go with me to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. And I want you to notice 
what Jesus says in, starting in verse 25. The Bible says, But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So it's not that we are to be harsh. It's not to be that we are to lord over here. And I think that there are two implications here. Don't lord over adults and don't lord over children, but rather guide and direct and serve one another. Paul said to the Ephesians to to bring them up in the training and in the admonition of the Lord. I remember when my children were young, my son is the oldest, and when he was 13 years old, uh, my wife and I decided that we were going to have a, 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 a family project. We had a house down in, in San Diego, and the, 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 the backyard had a, a, a slight slope towards the house. So when it rained, water ran towards the house. And then the front yard was sloped away from the house. And so we decided we were going to take that dirt from the backyard and we were going to move it to the front yard and we were going to level them both out. And, the, and it was going to be a family project. And I remember after a couple of days of working that um, my children weren't very um, excited about our family project. And I remember thinking about my son, that he was not a very good worker. And so I, I, I finally said to him, uh, after a couple of days, I, I, I said, what do you think you're going to do? You think you're going to just wake up one day and decide to be a good worker? And I, I swear to you, I'm not lying, he looked me right in the eye and he said, yeah, that's what I was thinking. And I, I said, that is not the way it works. And I began to train the boy how to be a good worker. And by the time he was 16 years old, three years later, he was working for me in my company on the, in the summer and sometimes on the weekends. And he was one of the best workers I had. And even my girls are great workers, but it didn't come by accident. I had to train them. I had to teach them. And I love to go visit my son. He's in Oklahoma. He's a firefighter, just made captain uh, about a year ago. But I love to go and see him and visit with him and his co-workers and his friends. And, and, and many times I've, I've had people come up to me. Uh, one day I had a guy, I think it was his boss at the time, he came up to me and said, what did you do? And I said, what do you mean? He said, your son is the hardest worker that I've ever seen. And I love to tell him that story about that summer project 
because it didn't happen by accident. We've got to train our children to love the Lord. We've got to train our children to be good workers. Now, my children were teenagers by the time my wife and I gave our hearts to the Lord, and they just thought I lost my mind, and they couldn't get moved out of my house fast enough. And I have regrets about that because I didn't teach them to to love and to fear God. Now let's go back to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, I'm running out of time here. Paul now makes the same parallel between slaves and masters. Look with me in verse 5. Paul says, Bondservants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. And you, masters, do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. So now Paul is doing the same thing with the with the master and the slave issue. Now, now slavery was far more popular in Paul's day than it is today. But we could apply it to ourselves and we could apply it to the employer and the employee. And we could look at that and Paul essentially says it doesn't matter which one of them you are, the boss or the worker, he says that if you're the boss, that you shouldn't lord over your employees. You shouldn't be harsh with them. But, but you should be different. You've got Christ in you. You've got the power. You've got the capacity. You've got the ability to now do what Jesus does. And he says if you're a worker... You're not working uh, essentially for your boss. In reality, you're really working for the Lord. And the same is for the master. You're, you're, you're the, the, the employer. You're the boss. But those are God's people. And, and you're to treat them differently. And, and uh, so we, we look at this and we see that Paul is giving us practical advice of how to live a daily life walking in the Spirit and what it should look to you. Now, when we look at that master and slave uh, idea, there may be someone who's saying, Pastor Rod, what do you know about slavery? You're a white man. You know nothing about slavery. Well, let me say something to you that it may or it may not shock you. Brothers and sisters, I have been a slave my entire life. I remember that story when Jesus was talking to the Pharisees And he told them that he could set them free. 
And the Pharisees says, we've never been a slave to anyone. What do you mean you're going to set us free? Essentially, Jesus was saying to them and is saying to us, you are a slave to sin. And that's the conundrum. That's the situation, right? That's why we've got to be born again. That's why we've got to have the Spirit in us. Because in our carnal nature, we cannot overcome those things. Now, I want you to go with me to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. And I want to read this to you. I want to make sure that we... We get this, John chapter 8, notice verse 31. Jesus said to them, this is the verse I was talking about. Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants. We have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? And Jesus answered them, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. But praise God. God wants to set us free. Now family, it wasn't a part of our study this week. But, but as I was looking at this slave and this master issue, I don't know about you, but it immediately reminded me of the story of Philemon. I'm sure that you're very familiar with that story. Uh, Paul had a slave that ran away from his master, and then Paul shared the gospel with him, a man by the name of Onesimus, And he gave his heart to the Lord. And now Paul wants to do what's right. He wants to send this slave back to his owner. He says that's the right thing to do. Now you have Christ in you. Now you can see things differently. And he's writing this letter to Philemon, who apparently had also at one time been a convert of Paul's, And he's the slave owner of Onesimus. And so Paul is writing this letter to him, and he's essentially saying, forgive him. Bring him back, and now he will be a better worker for you. And you shouldn't lord over him. You shouldn't be abusive to him, but you should treat him as you would treat me. You should treat him as you would treat the Lord. And I just love that story. Well, back to Ephesians chapter 6. And Paul finishes there in in verse 9. He says, And you masters do the same things to them. Give up threatening, knowing your own master also is in heaven And there is no partiality with him. God 
looks at all of us the same, whether you're the boss or whether you're the worker, whether you're the child or you're the parent, whether you're the husband or you're the wife. He says, we should have Christ in us and there should be evidence. There should be fruit of that. And that's why he tells us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We are to love others because Christ first loved us. We are to treat others as we want to be treated. And we need the Holy Spirit on the throne of our hearts because we can't do it on our own. I, I, I gave my heart to the Lord about 20 years ago and now he's changing me. Now I'm able to do those things that he's calling me to do, but I, I still make mistakes. I still, the, I'm still like Paul is saying, the things I know I ought to do, I'm not doing them. The things I know I shouldn't do, I do anyway. And so there's still more work to be done. And I ask you the questions, family. Do you have that desire as well that God would not only begin a good work in you, but he would bring it to completion? If that's the desire of your heart, why don't you pray with me now? Oh, loving Father, I thank you for this study. It's a very good reminder to us that there should be evidence. There should be fruit in our lives. We can't judge anyone whether they're saved or not, but we should be able to judge whether there's proof in their lives that you are, are, are connected with them, that they are receiving from you that life-giving force. And Lord, we need you to continue that work you've begun in each of us and bring it to completion. And we pray and ask in Jesus' name, Amen. Brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of our free study, The Bride of Christ. And again, you can get that by calling 866-788-3966 and asking for offer 133. God bless you and have a great day. Don't forget to request today's life-changing free resource. Not only can you receive this free gift in the mail, you can download a digital copy straight to your computer or mobile device. To get your digital copy of today's free gift, simply text the keyword on your screen to 40544 or visit the web address shown on your screen. And be sure to select the digital download option on the request page. It's now easier than ever for you to study God's Word with amazing facts wherever and whenever you want. And most important, to share it with others.